What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Like I Was Saying, where if you are a gambler, this is for you. A way you can make a little change while you're watching your games. So on May 14th, the Supreme Court made it easier, potentially, for you to bet on NBA, NFL, IndyCar, NASCAR, horse race, whatever game you want to. They're making it easier. The court's recent ruling struck down a previous decision which banned sports betting in every state but Nevada. Let's be honest, we all know a gambler. If you watch sports and you hang around people who watch sports, you got one friend who's gambling. It's part of life these days. Hell, even DraftKings, I don't care what they say. It's fantasy. No, it's not. It's gambling. But that's just where we are in 2018. And soon, you'll be able to walk down the street and put in a bet, put some bread down on your favorite team. But how soon? Nathaniel Groh, a professor at Indiana University, is an expert in the field of sports law. He joins me now. Professor, you say New Jersey could be the first state they could have their sports book up and running in June. They've suggested that you know they could have it up and running at certain racetracks by the start of the NBA Finals, so in a matter of a couple of weeks. Other states, like here in Indiana, that hasn't you know passed a law yet, it's probably going to be more months, if not a year or two, before you might see it up and running. When the um, when the actual verdict came down from the Supreme Court, were, were you surprised? Because they reversed, uh, I believe they reversed a law that had been on the book since 92. Yeah, I think that it was, it, it had been kind of an interesting case because it had kind of gone up and back and up and back. And I, I, it seemed like reading the tea leaves and having like followed the oral argument back earlier in the year, it seemed like that was the direction the court was heading in. But I think the big question was just kind of like how how it would do it. Would it strike down the whole law and toss the entire thing out or come up with something so that maybe New Jersey could do it, but leave it intact, the ban intact for the rest of the the country? I think most people were kind of, were surprised by definitely how like broad and sweeping the decision was. I felt like the major sporting leagues, they had been, you know, so anti-gaming, so against the spread of gambling. But within the last year, I've seen the NBA, MLB, even NFL, a few owners come out and discuss it. In my opinion, that's that's when they knew the tide was turning and they realized we got to make money off of this. I think that's right. It has been really interesting, you know, to see, you know, Adam Silver come out in favor of it and MLB kind of starting to work with some of these states in anticipation of this decision to, you know, to kind of get these laws set up in the way the league likes. It definitely seems like from the league's perspective, there's a lot of potential benefit, right? You get more engagement and more fan interest. Potentially, they're asking for a cut of some of the casino revenues, you know, under some of these state laws. How, how serious will states do that, though? If if someone comes up and says, hey, we want a cut of what you're doing, how how open would the states be to this? I get the, I get the leagues want the money because they always want revenue, but how open would, you know, in Indiana, Texas, and North Carolina, even in New Jersey be to giving up a cut of this money? It seems like some states have been a little bit more open to it than others. So so the leagues have been framing it in the context of this idea of a quote-unquote integrity fee and that since, you know, increased gambling is going to require us to do more monitoring for corruption and whatnot, that we need to have a cut of this revenue to be able to fund all that. I mean, I think it's probably a little bit bogus. Like, there's been a lot of gambling going on already. These <laughs> leagues are already doing this. Like, bringing it above board instead of under the table probably makes it easier to monitor that sort of stuff in some ways, right? So 
yeah, I think it's mainly a money grab by the leagues. But, you know, some states seem to be more open to that idea of an integrity fee. Other states have kind of rejected that idea as far as, I, as, far as I'm aware. Which states do you think? We, we know New Jersey and Mississippi. They were some of the, the precursors, if you will, to getting this, this, um, this decision from the Supreme Court. But, like, which states do you feel will capitalize the most and maybe the quickest off of this? Definitely New Jersey, like you mentioned. Um, it seems like so there had been uh, four or five, six states that were kind of ready to go for this, should this decision come out. So Jersey, of course, as you mentioned, Mississippi, West Virginia had a law, Pennsylvania, New York, and I think Connecticut, if I remember right. So I think that those are the states that are going to see that immediate swell of, you know, revenues coming in and kind of illegalized gambling the quickest. You know, Indiana was kind of in that middle ground where they'd at least had a bill introduced in in the state house a lot of states hadn't even done that so you know indiana's position would be kind of on the front edge of it but just not you know as immediate as some of the other states specifically with indiana you look at the city of indianapolis when you have final fours ncaa tournaments um all sports you have big 10 tournaments you have colts nfl uh you have pacers you have so many sporting events coming here would the city of indianapolis benefit from having a sports book so that's a good question. Um, it might depend a little bit on, on initially on how like the NCAA and some of these leagues handle it. You know, if the NCAA takes the position that any state that authorizes legal gambling, we're not going to host NCAA tournament games in, then maybe that's a net negative for the state if it can't host, you know, the Final Four or whatever. If if the NCAA kind of changes its tune on that and the NFL and you know for Super Bowls in the future and stuff, then you know it seems like it would probably be if not for the city itself, at least for the state, you know, with the added revenues coming in, it seems like most people assume that that would be something that would benefit the state but in that it, way. It, I, I, mean, there were, I was going to say, go if the NCAA were to take that stance, as we see with numerous other things, some states will be against it, and then they see their neighbors profiting off of it. They see the revenue stream that it creates for neighboring states. They pick it up. Would it, would it be smart for the NCAA to take the approach of, we're going to pull our events out of select states that host gaming, sports gaming, considering it's probably going to grow when states see how much money they can make off of it? Yeah, I, I doubt that the NCAA will do that. You know, I, they've already kind of suggested that they would reevaluate some of the bylaws in light of the decision, which to me kind of sounded like they were going to be more open to, if not an NCAA regional in Vegas, at least, you know, not penalizing a state like Indiana should it choose to legalize sports gambling. And like you said, if this does start to sweep the country at some point, the NCAA is not going to have any choice but to, you know, move forward with hosting games in states that allow legalized gambling in some form. But you might still see differences in terms of in different states of how broad it is. You know, in Indiana, the, the bills had only said that you would see legalized gambling in riverboat casinos, horse tracks, et cetera. You know, that's a big difference compared to, you know, access in a in a stadium itself or an arena itself or you know much more widespread you know throughout the state so that might even you know at some point you might see differences along those lines you know becoming coming into play as well i guess and honestly that that leads to my next question what is the point of entry for sports gaming will it be strictly the casinos i know you mentioned indiana and we'll bring indianapolis obviously i'm based here um they have the off-track betting otb in downtown indianapolis minutes away from all of the sporting venues this city has. Could the sports book, in essence, be there, giving fans an opportunity 
to wager and then walk to, you know, a Pacer game, a Final Four, a Colts game? I think it's just, I think it's a good question, right? And most of the states have been trying to limit it to existing betting facilities. You know, ultimately down the road, you could see, you know, I mean, people do this already probably illegally, right? You know, betting on their phone via some offshore, you know, bookie or sports book, you know, ultimately, <clears throat> does it, you know, does that proximity to the arena matter or not? I don't, I don't really know if it does. And, you know, some people have speculated that down the road, not original, not initially, but, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, you might even be looking at it to the NFL says, hey, we want to have a sports book right in our stadium because we, you know, just like at a horse track, people come watch the game, they should be able to place money on it. You could see that even opening up down the road. So I think it's really just a matter of, you know, kind of what the leagues are comfortable with when they lobby and, you know, what the legislators are comfortable with in terms of proximity. Um Correct me if I'm wrong, in every state, the gaming boards and who gets to own a casino, each state determines who gets to operate a gaming facility, correct? That's my understanding. For I think that there's there might be a couple of random exceptions, like Utah might not even have a gaming board, you know, but I think for the most part what you said is right as far as I'm as far as I understand it. So the ability of an entrepreneur to build out a gaming system because you know how this goes when it's a wild wild west and everyone's looking to monetize something the ability of an entrepreneur could i go and buy my own land and start my own gaming casino so it would so it, it kind of depend a little bit on how you set it up so if you were just trying to hold you know operations in one state then as long as you were just, you know, operating under that state's law. So Indiana, you complied with all the laws, you were, you know, registered and authorized, you'd be fine. If you start to expand it like online, then it becomes kind of a federal issue too. So there's federal laws that would apply, not just state laws. And that's where it gets more complicated. And I think the best part of the reason, the, uh, and at least this week, you started to see some of the leagues and the NCAA suggest that they'd rather have a federal nationwide rule than kind of different states having their own laws. And I think that in some respects that kind of makes sense just to take this out of the state's hands and say we're going to, at some level, you know, have an equal playing field across all 50 states. I was listening uh, to Brenton Musburger, obviously the Hall of Fame sports announcer who now works basically in in the betting sports betting side of the business. He started his own uh, Vegas Insider Sports Network, something like that. And uh, he was bringing up the European model, you know, people there betting on games on their mobile, betting on games at the venue. Do you think that is just a natural evolution that we will see out of this, uh, just to keep up with kind of what other countries are doing in their sports world? I mean, it would seem like if we're going to start to go down the road of legalizing gambling, like it probably wouldn't be, again, the first step, but it seems like like you said, if if you could go to a track and you know walk to a Pacers game after placing a bet, does it really make that much difference if you're doing it in the arena on your phone or not? I don't, I don't know if it really makes that much of a difference. And so I think you know as people get more comfortable with this idea and you know demand goes up, you, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if you started to see it switch more to an online mobile universe, just like everything else. Do you do you think that the Supreme Court? I mean, obviously they're reflecting of the times sports betting at one point in time. You know, you go back to the twenties with baseball and all the all the issues that came out of you know fixing and point shaving and all of that. Do you think that now we're just seeing maybe there's a shift in the dynamic and the way that we as Americans view sports betting? Like it used to be back in the day, a guy had a book. He thought he was like you know he was a shady character. Now everybody's got a guy or knows a guy that's betting. 
Yeah, I think that, that definitely is part of it, you know, that the, the momentum has kind of been pushing in this direction a little, you know, kind of like in a different, you know, analogy, but like legalization of marijuana, it kind of seems like that's where society's heading. And so I think that the court probably, you know, took that into account a little bit. It, it was kind of interesting. At the end of the decision, the court basically said that, hey, you know, Congress, if it wants to, it can ban this or not, but it just can't do it quite in the way that it tried to do it. So I think the Supreme Court's position was really that, legally speaking, Congress just screwed up and they violated the Constitution. But if, court, if the court said if Congress wants to do it a different way, then it can do so. But I, I'd be surprised if Congress or anybody at this point is really willing to, you know, implement a nationwide ban on sports betting, given the kind of political dynamics and popular opinion and whatnot. Should should the gaming situation change rapidly? I think you're basically predicting it's going to take a year before we really see states implement this. Um, will that make a big dent in the underground uh, sports betting world? I've I've seen so many numbers over the last three days, anywhere from what five hundred million to two billion dollars, they believe are bet in you know offshore mobile accounts or through you know various bookies. Do you think that if we change and states change the way that they view and treat sports betting, that moves that money out of the shadows and into state coffers? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I think that's one of the big questions is just, you know, what would happen? And so, you know, I think some of it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier with access, right? And so if, if I've got to go to a riverboat casino or a horse track to place a bet, if I, you know, I'm sitting here in Bloomington, I, I don't even know where I'd get, you know, I, I, I'm not going to drive two hours to place a bet probably, right? So maybe I would still continue to use whatever, you know, currently illegal sources online or, you know, a, you know, illegal bookie, that people are already using, maybe that's still, maybe a lot of that money still goes to them. So it's kind of like one of those things where the state in some ways, if it wants to maximize the revenue, it almost needs to expand more rapidly and more kind of expansively than it might otherwise, because I don't know if how many people are going to take advantage of going to a riverboat casino or a horse track to place a bet on the Colts game, you know, each week. I'll be completely honest. I lived in Indy for nine years. I have never set foot in a casino in this state. Not once. Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing a lot of people are in the same boat. So with what we have now, do you, in your your opinion, think that we could possibly see with the rise of betting some of the same issues we had with, you know, point shaving stuff of baseball in the 20s? Or are we just past that? These guys were made too much money. They're not worried about 500000 or a million dollars. Yeah, I think that, so I think at the professional level, from the players, I definitely think that's probably the case. You know, if you've got a guy like Mike Trout making thirty million dollars a year, no, I don't think many gamblers or bookies can can raise enough money to make that enticing to him. You know, to risk that sort of stream of revenue and Hall of Fame career and everything to throw a game. I do think that you know potentially it makes you know this more of an issue with maybe referees or umpires who aren't making that much money, you might see more of kind of a concern at that kind of that level. I think the other big thing is just at the collegiate level where obviously these guys aren't getting paid and, you know, they may be more susceptible to taking a $10,000, $25,000 bribe, that sort of thing. But again, that's been going on anyway. You know, it's under the table right now. And some people, a lot of people think that if you move it into the light and kind of have it all regulated that that becomes easier to detect. So I don't I don't know if it's really going to substantially change things one way or the other in that. I think it's 
I definitely do think the world's different today than it was in 1919. Though, so I don't think it's so much as about the players, is at least at the professional level, as it is about, you know, the concern would be about other individuals who aren't making quite as much money. And I'll get you out of here. Final question. Let's be honest. This has always been about money. Only reason the states want to get into it is because they they want to get paid. I think Nevada says of their gaming, four percent or maybe five percent comes from the sports book. Nevada's different. We all know people go there. The amount of money they have there is ridiculous, especially on a fight weekend. But realistically speaking, in your you know your midwestern states, your deep south states, what kind of numbers do you think these states could see in revenue? Yeah, and it's a good question again. I think so. The Indiana bills that were proposed that didn't go anywhere yet, they were targeting a 9.25% tax on any casino profits off sports gambling, which is pretty substantial, right? Yeah. And so, crazy. I mean, it, it seems to me that if, if you're talking about, say, you know, $50 million a year, I think that would probably be pretty conservative, you know, a year in profits for casinos from sports gambling here in Indiana, then. That's, you know, close to $5 million in terms of tax revenue. It could be obviously a lot more than that, too, if it if the revenue goes up for the casino. So I definitely think you're talking millions of dollars. Um, I guess the question for the state is just, you know, is that, you know, what's the cost that that's entailed with problem gamblers and addiction and all that? Does it kind of outweigh that? But also just do you want to keep losing this revenue to other states like Ohio or Michigan who might move in and uh, start to steal some money and dollars away from Indiana? Especially considering the fact the state of Illinois is completely cash strapped right now, I think they might uh, they might try to jump the jump the gun a little bit and get a little extra revenue in their state. Hey, Professor Growth, thank you so much for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it and had fun. So all in all, it's going to take a while for you to get a sports book in every major city in the country. But you know, if the money coming in is as much as some people expect, even states that are staunchly against it. We'll hop on board at some point. Money has and will continue to always talk. Hey, thanks for listening. Let me know what you think. It's always hit me up. Jason Spells on Twitter and IG. Never did it for the fame. Never did it for the game. When I picked up the mic, it made my whole world change.